Bienvenido a Aural Fitación. Me llamo Drew. Cada episodio, mi amigo Andy y yo elegimos un álbum de un artista queer y discutimos la música, el impacto y sobre todo la cultura gay. Esta semana discutimos Dreaming of You por Selena. Fue publicado en 1995 con EMI Latin y EMI Records. Todas las muestras de audio tienen el propósito único de la revisión y la crítica. Esperamos que disfrutéis escuchando. Andy and Ricky, how do you know each other? Well, how did we first know each other? We we so we go back to like Twitter, Twitter stand days. I haven't actually had a Twitter account for about three or four years now, but we followed each other for years. And then, like many iconic guests on Oral Fixation, mm. um, we translated into an Insta follow, <laughs> and we our friendship blossomed on a. A, a summer's day <laughs> in West Hollywood where um, you, um, we, we kind of spent the day just walking around record stores and cafes and bars, um, yep. just talking nonstop, probably just about the costumes in the Blonde Ambition tour, like to the level of that detail. <laughs> Um, so we obviously completely... Uh, I do remember that. I remember being in the back of an Uber and like and sharing... A story about how um, the "Keep It Together" is like my ultimate favorite Madonna performance, because because of like because of the outfit, the story, the Fosse reference, the Clockwork Orange reference. I was like, this bitch threw theater, literature, uh, music, and like all in like the finale of this like groundbreaking reinvention of a rock show. How could it not be my favorite? I think I just need to, um, I think we, Drew and I, need to accept <laughs> that this podcast is actually a Madonna podcast. Yeah. With like guest appearances from other artists. So because... we, we were going to uh, discuss Madonna, is that right, Ricky? Because uh, other than Andy, you, I don't know anyone that reaches true high stannery of Madonna more than Andy, other than you, from what I hear. I'd give Ricky... I, I reckon in my, in my, like, stratosphere of Madonna stannery, there's, like, two or three people who I'd say are just incrementally more than me. A skosh. Yeah, a skosh. A snippet. And Ricky's one of them. Ricky's so we were going to discuss Madonna, but because we've discussed her ad nauseum on the podcast, we've gone for the Madonna of Tejano music. Correct. Is that right? That's right. She really is. I, um, I mean, even if you do a quick Wikipedia search on Selena, it immediately says she is considered like the Tejana. Um, You're going to have to school us on all of the accents, by the way. You're going to have to just really give us some accent lessonary up in here. Oh, for sure. No worries. But, but the, the Tejano, Tejano or Tejana, it's a, you know, Spanish is a very gendered language, um, but it means basically like, it's a Mexican-American who's, like, in Texas. So it's literally, like, Texas in Spanish is Tejas. So someone who is uh, from Texas is Tejano or Tejana, especially if they're Mexican. I mean, it's right there on the border. So um, Selena is actually very responsible for putting not only Tejano music on the map, but, like, 
I want to even like claim her and say like she prefaced the Latin explosion of like the late 90s because she was the one who like went on the scene um, with this crossover album Dreaming of You in 95 which was released months after she had already passed away. So I, I really think that like she is quite responsible, I'm not necessarily for the Latin explosion but I mean, I think it was just inevitable. The 90s had like such an array of crazy music. If you really think about it, like coming off the edge of hip hop, going into like um, trance and like, and then house and then going into grunge and then going into R&B and then like, it literally like just ending in the like Latin explosion with Ricky Martin and like Shakira and um, yeah, wild. There's so much to say about Selena. Uh, I think both Drew and I have been immersed in Selena verse. So, because to to be completely honest with you, Ricky, I I definitely heard of Selena before um, when Andy said that um, you guys had been chatting about who to discuss, and Selena's name came up. I was like, yes, let's do Selena because at its heart, for me personally, this exercise doing this podcast is all about education, and I didn't know really anything about um, Selena. I knew that she was beloved and I knew that she was no longer alive, but I didn't know a Selena song. I didn't know um, any of her story, really. I actually assumed that she was um, originally Spanish-speaking. I didn't know that she was even oh, born in, born in um, Texas. Texas. So it's just been such... Yeah. I have gone on this, like, deep Selena journey that I'm only part of the way through because I want to talk to you about her. Um, but she is just, she's just, it's been so fascinating and inspiring and heartbreaking to learn her story. And yeah, I just want to thank you so much for kind of bringing her to this podcast because she is, um, yeah, she's just such an interesting figure and I can't wait to dive. Before we get her. into these shenanigans, because there's so much to say, I just wanted to um, maybe give our listeners more insight into where they may have seen or heard you before, Ricky. Where may some of our listeners <laughs> seen you? <laughs> oh, God. Probably in the depths of the hell of the internet somewhere. That or grinder. No. But... <laughs> I'm specifically referring to some people's favorite episode of RuPaul's Drug Race All-Stars and some people's least favorite for various reasons. <laughs> and you were right in the thick of it. So come on, let the cat out of the bag. Yes, that's true. I, uh, I was definitely in that famous All-Stars 4 episode where the fans divided each other like the Red Sea and Naomi was the Moses we all deserve. <laughs> But um, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one of Davis's, uh, Naomi Smalls's like good Judy's and best friends. Like since like he was 18, I was 20. I think I'm like about two years older. Um, and I was on that episode and it was really fun. And fun fact, uh, it's not necessarily my first episode, nor was it my last. Oh. Because I have, you can see me in the background of some of the finales. <laughs> It's like you can see me right there gagging at Sasha Velour. <laughs> so you were you were there in the audience when the rose petals fell? Like right behind RuPaul. Like everyone freaked the fuck out. It was a moment. Like it really was. Like 
It, to me, it was a lot of fun. I'm just gonna get into this a little bit because like it was the first um, lip sync for the crown situation. So I thought it was a pretty smart idea to get to see, or at least the audience gets to see like a lip sync like battle kind of happen in front of you, like especially with the people that you've already known and like and is on TV. So it's the first time it's happening too, and it's not like a curated number that you've like rehearsed. It's like something that you, I mean, they knew the songs beforehand. So when Sasha started pulling out all these things, I was just like, this is a queen who like knew exactly what like she was gonna do with the song that she was told. And I thought it was really smart and it was very effective. I mean, like, yeah, it, it was crazy. Like they, they try to do it again so we can get like a reaction shot. And I mean, it, Nah, yeah. forget it. So not, you weren't a, a part of one iconic drag race moment. You were part of two. Um, no, if you guys haven't figured it out by now, <laughs> um, Ricky is best friends with um, Naomi Smalls and featured in the All Stars 4 episode where all of the Queen's good duties come in to be made over. And Ricky was the iconic share to Naomi Smalls' Sunny. Extra and Smalls. Extra Smalls. Extra small was Ricky's name. Ended up going on to win the challenge with Naomi, and um, Naomi then um, sent him home. Lose <laughs> on home um, because, as we all know, life's not, not fair. There. That's it. Okay. Well, now that we've got Madonna and Drag Race out of the way, yeah. we need to devote some time to this episode subject because there's so much to get through, as Drew already hinted to. Yes. So I think in the spirit of education, the best place would be to start, of course, if you've listened to our fixation for a while, you know that the conceit is what these artists or albums mean to us as queer listeners. What does Selena mean to you, Ricky, as a queer um, fan? A queer person. I mean, honestly, as much as I like to talk about Madonna and like how she's big on an influence for me, Selena was really like the OG. Um, I am the first of my kids in my family. Um, so my mom would be like listening to music all the time, cleaning, and Selena was constantly on a loop. Um, Selena was notably like, I mean, obviously famous for like her Tejano music. So it was very like Mexican heavy and like just, um, and yeah, and it was just like feel good music all the time. And then I remember. Sorry, Ricky, sorry like to interrupt. Was, but where, where are you? Are you from LA? You're from, are you from Texas or somewhere else? No, I'm from LA. Yeah. Born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, but you know, there's just as much Mexicans there as there is in, in Texas. Um, but yeah, like that, that was like my first, if it wasn't Selena, it was Donna Summer. Selena and Donna Summer were, I think, the two that I remember the most listening to and really, really loving as a kid. And I found that interesting because um, it's in, obviously in the film, it shows that Selena's a huge Donna Summer fan her, herself. Absolutely. So that disco medley was on loop. Well, I was going to ask what, so... I watched the film um, last night. Um, was it J-Lo's, like, kind of big break? Absolutely. It was uh, It was her big, like, film break. She had already, like, had success as a fly girl on, in, in Living Color in the, like, early 90s. And she was actually, uh, I think her big, like, first thing after that was, like, being a background dancer in Janet's That's the Way Love Goes. She's in that music video. So, uh, anyway, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the film, um, the biopic about Selena's life, 
J-Lo uh, is performing as Selena in the Valentina, like, um, kind of body jumpsuit. jumpsuit. Um, but she's performing all these disco songs. And I found that so kind of... Jarring? Kind of. I, I was like, oh, is she a cover artist? Because bearing in mind, I didn't know, yeah, right, other yeah. than the album, I didn't know anything about Selena's life. I was like, what is this about? Um, but I guess she had loads of inspiration from that disco era. Uh, but it was so confusing to me. And then it just was never addressed again in mm. the film. So I didn't really get what was going on. Right. But that concert was so a... famous though, right? Sorry, I will let you speak. But that the reason they <laughs> opened with that concert is because of its significance later in her life. And when I Googled it, that specific disco medley seems to be this really famous performance. Absolutely, yeah. I, it's a it's an Easter egg, I think, for the fans. Like, I mean, one thing that I, I did tell you guys, like, especially if you hadn't seen the movie, I mean, I highly recommend it. But I'm very amazed at how good that movie came out, considering how short of a time there was between her death. Because um, she because died, I think it really she died kinda, in 1995, like, Ricky, and then the film came out in 97. Mm-hmm. And even I was reading Salma Hayek, was approached to star in it, and she said it's just too too soon. Soon, right, right. I think people were like skeptical if it would even be a good script, and the family was very involved in it. So I think that was a really smart choice to do. And I mean, who else better to do it? Because like, it's a Selena has been like a family business from the get go. Um, so, so let me dive into that okay. a little bit. Let's, okay, yeah, if let's take it way back. History. Let's go back to the beginning. Like, um, for those of our listeners who don't know much about right. Selena, what is her kind of origin story? April 16th, 1971. <laughs> but yeah, so Selena was born and like in, in Texas and um, her dad was a musician and he kind of like had this fallout in his band called Los Dinos. And then, as you know, it says this in the movie as well, but like they ended up getting like um, bankrupt after like he lost his job somewhere. So they opened up a restaurant and then formed a band with his kids, basically, and taught his kids how to like play these instruments. And they noticed that Selena had some vocal chops and she was the youngest one. So they put her in the foreground of it. And um, I mean, it was a, it was a struggle because they um, performed at the restaurant to like tips, basically, and then started uh, promoting them in like county fairs and stuff um, and and kind of making money off of that. And then even by the time that they were on the road with like beginning and like without necessarily a big recording contract, um, people were already kind of like skeptical, I guess, like, and, and people in Selena's life. Cause I think even like schooling teachers, like got mad at their parents for taking her out. Uh, like when she was like in eighth grade, um, to pursue a career in music. But I mean, obviously they worked hard enough and, and really made a name for themselves but it wasn't until like the late 80s that they got like a big record company like produced. And, and even then, like she wanted to do English music because English is her first language. But um, the, the I guess the money or the market was in, in Spanish music. So she really had to learn Spanish as she went. And like her dad was like helping her out phonetically. I found that so interesting how they kind of hint at that in the film. But then I, I read about it. It just blows my mind that like Drew said, I similarly assumed that um, Selena was primarily a Spanish 
speaking artist, pro probably from Mexico. So the Texas thing was a shock. But then to find that actually she didn't know Spanish. And not only did she have to learn Spanish phonetically for the singing, but there's that scene where they fly her to Mexico to meet the Mexican press. And um, she's her dad's worried about how like her Spanish just isn't good enough. They're going to like eat her alive. And then her dad does that really funny rant and it's comedic in the film, but it's something that you hear from so many um, people who straddle two different worlds of um, we have to be more American than the Americans and more Mexican than the Mexicans. And we need to speak better English than the Americans and better Spanish than the Mexicans. We have to be better at everything. And it's just so exhausting. And it just, it was just so interesting. And that felt to me, uh, quite queer like as queer people we have to straddle these two worlds and kind of exist in both of them and and f like you know work to earn the validation of our heterosexual peers um and I that that just kind of like yeah it definitely I, I wonder if that it does she have like a huge gay following I would say so. I mean, it, I don't know how much it would have been in like the heyday and I would say like late 80s, early 90s, but I would assume so very much. Um, I don't I, I I can't remember if I remember like hearing any stories of her with any like gay fan bases, but I knew or I think I might have read somewhere that like she might have spoken spoken out about it and like and was OK with it, too, you know, um, and I would say that it's. For sure. I mean, I really should research on this, but because um, I am interested. But I would only assume so, considering the fact that like the AIDS epidemic was happening, and like, and she would be quite vocal about it as well, and taking a, like taking on like her peers that and her influences, like Madonna, Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul, who were already in the same boat and in the same fight. Um, so yeah, I, I highly doubt that there was no. I mean. That there wasn't a queer following. Yeah. Of course. But, yeah. but on that topic about yourself and maybe some of your friends who are of a similar age to you, what what is she to, to you as um, queer Latino listeners and enjoyers of this kind of... What does she mean to you in that respect? She's the same for me as why, like, all my divas are, basically. Like, I think the fascination between gay men and and pop vocal divas is this idea that we know that they're like not necessarily like human this is like a some sort of like superhuman ability right whether it's like their vocal chops or the way that they can dance or the way that they can just like let us fulfill in that fantasy that they're conjuring basically and I think we as gay men like really adapt and and admire that because we kind of wish that for ourselves and we have to realize that in order to feel like this special person we have to make ourselves this special person um so Selena I th I mean I I totally felt seen without knowing I was feeling seen because it was just like not only did I appreciate this person who looked gorgeous like a young version of like my mom um like dancing and singing really well and looking beautiful but it was also like uh, I don't know being wrapped up in that emotion because the way that she delivered her songs is the reason why I think she was so successful um with Spanish music like the Hanos or like the ballads like 
I mean, she kind of tackled almost every genre in Spanish that I could think of. Like, we have, like, your ballads, which are called, like, rancheras, um, which, I don't know, like, sounds so classic. And, and I think anybody of an older generation and a younger generation would appreciate and, and do. And I think that was, like, big bond with, like, uh, with families. And I think that's why she connected with a lot of families as well, because she was able to really kind of um she was such a chameleon she was able to give you pop she was able to give you dance she was able to give you like these ballads and um and sing with emotion that anybody from any generation could really connect to in two languages in two languages and that's very divina de campo very very divina de campo yes um five vocative range (laughs) um and so this album that we're talking about today dreaming of you was it her fifth studio album or her fifth solo studio album. And the first, Posthumous. Yeah. Is it Posthumous? Posthumous. Posthumous. Um, Posthumous. And it was... It, and first crossover. It, well, this is mm. the thing. This is what I was going to say. This was widely regarded as her crossover album from having um, released albums previously that were only in Spanish, coming over to um, recording in English. Which, like you said, she'd actually been, been campaigning for since the start of her career. She was like, let me sing in English. And so this was this was the moment that things were about to get because she'd won a couple of Grammys and things were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Certainly in the um, she was already well established in the Spanish speaking community, but this was kind of her moment that she was going to go move certainly into America and go gangbusters. And it was cut short because of a tragic, horrific murder um, by the the head of her fan club. Um, do you remember that happening? Do you remember to you? it happening? I remember being a kid and like, and she was just all over the news as always. Really, like there was always some with Spanish like noticias, like news channels. Like there's always something celebrity gossip, and Selena was always in the tip of the tongue. But I mean, like I remember being like, why is everyone like talking on Selena? And I was maybe, I think I was four years old. And I remember, like, the TVs just playing her music and, like, seeing vigils of, like, just people out with the white roses and the white candles and realizing what happened and being on the lockdown with Yolanda. Um, yeah, it was crazy. It was, like... And, it, it, and it's funny, too, because, like, it was one of those, like... I didn't know her, but I knew her so well, you know? Like, and I knew that, like, I, as a kid, I, I think I... Or reflecting on it now... I can really kind of sense this like uh, sense of community with her, and I had never lost anyone. I mean, I was only four, but I and and or I don't even think I've like known the idea of losing someone. But I really do remember thinking how crazy it was that this person that we didn't know yet somehow connected to um, really affected us, and I would consider her being like my first. Um, running with death I, I think in a different but similar way it's almost seems comedic to say this but everything you've just said translates so easily to me say. with princess diana. diana yeah right like not knowing not think not being sad because i didn't know her but seeing so much sadness around me and then putting right. the pieces together between this woman who I'd see on the TV and seeing how she made people openly weep and thinking, oh, I guess this is kind of sad, actually. 
Something really sad has happened. I actually think that my first encounter with Selena was knowing about, sadly, the way that she died. See, I had no... I didn't know. I knew that she had died. I didn't know the way that she died and the fact that it was just so hectic. Yeah. Um, I, I, I randomly feel like it was actually like a Guinness Book of Records or something. Something around some amazing record that Selena had smashed. God knows what it was. There was probably so many, but I remember reading that there's this... Uh, this pop star from another country who uh, made these records. This is the record that we're talking about. And then, ah, met this really, you know, tragic, gruesome end. And that's what I remember sticking in my brain. And then years later, when I was living in Florida, the gay club that we go to every Sunday, um, Selena's songs, I wonder if you, what your input on this is from like the LA drag scene, but Selena's songs were so popular with Latina drag performers at this club, but actually specifically Latina trans performers. So um, th that is how I actually discovered Selena's music um, right. through performances like that. And here I am today wearing a Selena t-shirt. Gorgina. Yeah. And you know, what's, uh, you know what else is ironic with this whole like uh, queer um, circle with Selena as well? Um, so the, per the person who murdered her, Yolanda Salivar, was like, she was the, um, she was a president of like her, her boutiques, her enterprises. So basically like she ran her fan club, but she also was like kind of taking financial uh, or running the books with her boutiques because Selena became an entrepreneur, honey. She had not only just music and like, a, and crossing over with English one as well, but she started designing her own clothes and she actually had a line uh, maybe for like a good two or three years before she passed um, and had boutiques. So Yolanda was the one who running it. Um, so rumor has it that she was stealing from them. And like, and, and that whole argument that led to her death, basically that was the root of it. The fact that she was embezzling money. Um, but what's like not really talked about is the fact that Yolanda apparently had some lesbian crush on her. Um, so like, and, and really wanted to be with her and was kind of upset that she wouldn't or couldn't be with her. So I think that's kind of like what led into the psyche of like, well, let me try to get at her. Let me try to steal money from her to get her attention. And what, what truth do you think there is in that? I think she totally like, I think there is truth to that. Like, um, I remember there being like so many interviews with her in jail, like uh, as the years went by, um, and I think it they tackled onto that. I mean, she she kind of was being more nonchalant about it because, God forbid, even 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 in a jail cell, girl, with what you've done, you still can't come to terms with your sexuality because that's how Latino Catholics do, I guess. That's the queer bit. Okay, so that's a big tick in that box. Um, that's Spe so interesting. Speaking of, I don't. I. It's very likely that I'm completely profiling. Was her was Selena's sister gay? Uh, I don't know actually, and I mean she definitely gives uh, some butch realness with. That's it what I was getting but... at. Yeah, I'm glad that you um, can smell what I'm stepping in, Ricky. But that could have also just been like some kind of '90s vibe. Very as well. similar. It could have been just been a Ricky Lake vibe. A Ricky Lake, very much that vibe. Um, okay, well, this has given us a really great foundation for the music. Now for some so, music. so we know um, fifth um, solo album, first crossover album, and it was kind of a half and half, wasn't it? Because by the time that she'd passed, she'd actually only recorded half of the album. Right. So the first, the first five songs are in English, and then the rest of the album 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but is that kind of like a, a smattering of like greatest hits? That is what I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much that. And I don't even think that it, I wouldn't even consider it being like halfway done. Um, so she kind of like skyrocketed with her solo career with the big song Como La Flor, which I'm sure you guys know of. Um, and that was like in 91. And then with that, um, that album took off. And what led to her having an American Grammy was for a live album that she did in concert. So she won that one, I think, um, in 94. And in 93 is when she got like a record um, uh, deal for, yeah, like for another solo album. And I think she was fighting to go in a crossover. And so she recorded a few demos, showed it to the executives, and they turned it down. They said that she was not ready and that she might need to build her fan base more before this went on. And what's that all about, Ricky? Because she had the proven success. She had Grammy. She had hundreds of millions of records. Well, this was like right before the Grammy, I think. But like, but, but like the Grammys would tick it, tipped it over. Like she said, well, they're not going to give it, give me the chance. So she jumped ship to another record label and, and they started working on those songs. Um, I think the first one that they worked on was one of my ultimate favorites is I Could Fall In Love. Um, it's just, it's so good. I mean, can can I be that person and like play a bit of the so song? So what we're going to do is we'll we'll what? play, we'll, we're playing it right now on the podcast. It's, it's playing as we're oh, speaking word. right now. Yeah, you might not be able to hear it, but it's playing, we yeah. promise. I, you know, I have my I have my earphones turned down. I hear him. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the album yeah. opener, and it's so. You'll get this reference, Andy. Ricky, do you know a, a band or a music um, outfit called Bliss? Mm. It's they're this kind of like mm. chill Ibiza sunset kind of um, operation, and it's just that song I Could Fall In Love was just so reminiscent to me of one of their songs called Kissing mm. which is actually used mm. iconically in the Sex and the City movie soundtrack oh, okay but that's also playing right now that's also so if you're right feeling now. blissed out that's why <laughs> but it's just very, I'm so into that whole kind of like chilled Ibiza Cafe Del Mar vibe and it was very reminiscent of that there's yes. a lot of musical influences throughout this album that mm. are so interesting to me but just straight off the bat, that was my kind of um, perception of I could fall in love. But anyway, carry on. Because it was there like a specific yeah. bit that you love that you wanted to reference? I mean, honestly, that is a song that kills me every time. I'm such a hopeless, I'm such a hopeless romantic. I hate it. Um, but it's, it's just such a gorgeous song. I love a good unrequited um, ballad and I think what really sells it in me is just like the just the way that the song starts and the, how the beat drops in um, and then the sprinkle of the Spanish guitar like I yeah that's just what sells it to me and then um, the lyrics are beautiful but it, it's not until the bridge I think or the middle eight um, where she starts kind of whispering things in Spanish uh, mm-hmm. siempre estará like you know it's it's so good and then i always live for that little like like in this <laughs> I, I mean it's 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 a song waiting for me to just drag it the fuck up i just need to get really good with makeup first at your at your night where you where you where you lip sync what's it called don't learn the words or something 
Learn the words, bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> if we had a Sydney version, me and Drew would be there every week. 100%. Actually, we should just start a Sydney do version. It. We can yeah. do the Sydney arm. Well, I mean, they, they do it on Zoom now, so you can literally chime in and watch. Of course. That is a very special song. Um, a few weeks ago, when we settled on this album, um, we confirmed via email. Mm. Um, I went for a walk at like... 5.30 p.m. and it's spring here in Sydney so it's the opposite to where you are and um it was this dusky kind of pink purple evening and I walked around not Centennial Moore Park yes um and it was just a mood it was mood spelled M-E-W-D it was a mute <laughs> <laughs> um and similarly I know we're skipping ahead in the track list do forgive me but this was in this moment it's the title track for me it's Dreaming of You um, that is a very, very special song. And interestingly, I only heard just today on Spotify, if you listen to the album, the very last track is uh, the spoken liner notes from yes. the album. Yeah. So all the people who helped her with the album. And it's the guy, her family. It's her family, right? Yeah. So do forgive me. I assume it's her brother who opens and he yeah. is like, honestly, the record label were really uh, bullish with this and they controlled pretty much the entire album. But the one song which Selena said she wanted on the album was Dreaming of You. And I myself was like, I just don't think this is that good. And Selena was like, that's great, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And it's amazing. Mm. It's a really beautiful song. And do you know what um, I found listening to Dreaming of You for the first time? I think she sounds like Madonna on that song. I think vocally she sounds... I, I could have been listening to Madonna. Take a shot. <laughs> I'll take a shot this time. Take a bow. Uh, but it's... No, it is, but it's 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 very... even. It's even that era. Yeah. It's bedtime it stories is. kind of... Wait, it's take a bow bedtime stories? Uh, it is. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, it's very that kind even. of like era of Madonna, which was happening around the same time. Literally and not only time. Madonna, but also Janet. Janet, thank it's you. It's the mid-90s, yeah. sumptuous, kind of luxurious R&B-esque ballad. It just the end feels of control. like you're slipping into like a soapy bath. Yes. Um, and who else? I mean, Mariah was just kicking off then. So Mariah was having similar ballads. Um, I don't know what Whitney was doing like 95, but it's very, it's very that-a. Very that-a. I mean, the thing is, like, uh, this was U.S. charts, and by 93, R&B made a big comeback. Um, yeah, like, uh, 93, like, you were saying Boys to Men, Winnie Houston, um, and she dominating even, the charts. She even does a duet or collaboration with an R&B. Are they like the Barrio Boys. The Barrio Boys. So were they big? Did I, I'd, I'd never heard of them before. You know, I neither have I. They were definitely. Um, I, I I don't know if they were big like in the U.S., but maybe they were big in. I want to say Mexico, but I'm not positive. I think they're New York based anyway. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like they. I I think the the well, see, the gag is that with them jumping ship to another record because record uh label um ab was already working on the album before this one ab being um, selena's brother was, um, ab the bro- his her brother yes uh, was working on amor prohibido which was the album before dreaming of you mm. and that and track some, features on songs. dreaming of you yeah, yeah. mhm so he was finalizing that album, which I think is the reason why he wasn't necessarily assigned as a producer 
for this crossover album, which was almost a deal breaker for Selena because he had been her producer and songwriter for so long. Not that he wouldn't have a hand in it, but he wouldn't be like the main focus. Um, So by the time that these songs were recorded for Dreaming of You and then she passed away, A.B. was left with the responsibility to take this to other producers who he thought would best fit her sound. So I thought it was really cool and gracious of them to really kind of put Selena at the forefront and really think about her um, and think of a way to finalize these songs that were not even in their final format yet. Um, because because historically, I mean, I'm open to alternate opinions here, but I just don't know if the music industry has a really great track record of um, music released post an artist's death. I think of things like Michael Jackson's Estate. I mean, there's there's some there's some gems in there, some songs, but and generally, I mean, I even just finished reading this incredible book um, about Prince possibly coming soon to the pod, um, where Prince explicitly talks about how he has this enormous archive, but if he wanted people to hear it, it would be out there. So, I mean, very different ball games here, Prince having an archive of decades and then Selena having a half-finished album, but to hear that something was completed once she had passed and it was actually done respectfully and well, I mean, that's kind of the best that you can hope for. Right, yeah, it was a, it's um. I don't know. I mean, I think it, it speaks a lot for Selena. Um, just be like seeing her impact and like and how a lot of people like resonated with her death. So like that could have been a really good factor with like wanting them to do the best job possible. But also like I think they really solely believed in this album. They really believed that Selena could cross over and be successful with it because they were already putting a lot of money into promoting the album. Um, it was already a cycle. Like I think they had like at least a half a million budget just for promotion alone for this album. So they really believed in her, um, in her artistry. I, I think so. I think it was a really smart decision to really go with this new label who really wanted to dedicate the best for Selena. And I think ultimately they succeeded even with the tragedy. And and knowing the sentimentality that humans have attached to things like what could have been and checking that, but also the quality of this album suggests that she would have gone on to huge things. Yeah. It's... Like the, the foundation that she had and then where she was only just cracking into the English language market, but she could have been huge. And I don't know if we've said already, but she was 23 when, when she died. Like so, so young. Like half a month short of her birthday yeah wild um just back to the some of the music that we skipped ahead to um actually the song that you just referenced with the barrio boys that is 90s influences hello that is classic like new jack swing that reminded me of um janet jackson uh, janet jackson but close to you by maxi priest and just another day by john Sakata. if you're oh. not sure what they are they're playing right now in the pod that is that new jack swing definition i love just Another Day by John Cicada. So good. So, so good. good. And then... Um, it sounds so good. <laughs> I'm Getting Used to You <laughs> is almost identical in beat to one of the biggest songs of the early 90s, which is um, Sign Your Name by Trent, uh, Terence Trent Darby. Yes. Like, okay. it's almost like a lift. It's like a It a also copy. gave me um, Sade vibes. Sade. 
very sort of Sade. Mm. There is some Sade in this. There's so, it's, it's not all Sade, but there's Sade in Rising. the essence. It's Sade Moon? Adjacent. Adjacent. Um, I'd say it's it's a bit more Billboard Top 100 than Sade in that it's kind of got that luxurious gloss painted yes. over yes. it. But the it's vibe is there. It's definitely like a Latin flair of Sade because I, I'm i Getting Used to You is such a, such a fucking great song. I absolutely adore it for its like musicality and the way that it builds and those horns. Um, it, it is like, it's like if Sade and Gloria Stefan like got together. To like make an album. Side note, Gloria Estefan, I would also love to really get to know because she was enormously successful as well. Isn't she one of, she's actually one of the richest recording artists of all time because of the success that she's had and other business ventures, but she's not a nobody. She's a somebody. Um, my favorite song on the album is, um, that we haven't mentioned, is Captive Hearts. <laughs> It slaps, and it, it reminds me of, this might be a bit of a deep cut ref. Um, do you know the Jessica Simpson song, Sweetest Sin? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna sing it, but there's like a, I'm mean, I gonna sing it. I'll, it's playing in the background, but there's like, my captive heart, my sweetest sin. It's like, it, they sound so similar, um, but yeah. obviously, so Selena, walked so Jessica Simpson could eat tuna. Or more accurately, um, Selena just robbed Jessica Simpson. No, well, this was, Jessica Simpson was after Selena. She robbed Jessica Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Selena's just a blueprint. <laughs> um, so so they're, they're the kind of songs which were recorded for this album, but of course, the greatest hits are smashed onto the end. Do you think that was a direct kind of all right, well, she's gone now, so we better take, you know, the very best of her songs to this huge English language market, which the album was always going to be marketed towards anyway. Um, I think it was a smart decision to do. I don't necessarily think that they just, like, stuck it on there just to kind of finish it. Um, I mean, it's honestly the smartest thing to do because you want to fill in the gaps, but they were really smart with not only giving the greatest hits, but AB, I think, um, decided to remix them as well. So so it's very immaculate collection, if you will, where they took the greatest hits of her past career. Um, and a lot of them were dominantly from like even the album before. Um, so you're not really getting anything super um, like just left field with this album it still sounds very cohesive and if you didn't know selena then you knew her now so i think i thought they chose really smart songs like como la flor bidi bidi bam bam but also something to show what could have been like something like techno cumbia which was already like such a fun song and one of my favorites the remix on this album slaps like no other for me um like just like that rap in the beginning and that is where though Iconic. i know we're 25 50 maybe no i don't know where am i in time yeah like 25 years apart but that is surely like a direct ancestor to the popularity of like reggaeton and like that kind of like latina oh, influenced yeah. dance which has been popular for years now yeah like that you're mm -hmm. kind of seeing the roots there and then yeah the reggaeton definitely like came on the scene like i want to say like early 2000s um and i i i mean i'm not the biggest fan of reggaeton only because 
as much as I love to dance to it and everything, like I'm such a bitch who loves like a good melody. And for me, reggaeton kind of almost seems like I, there comes a point where like some of them aren't as distinctive. We'd call that Ricky on oral fixation. We call that a bit hetty. So it's like a bit mainstream heterosexuality. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's very that. But I've I've always been curious to see how Selena would have done it because her brother, A.B., I don't know if you guys are aware, but by the... If it wasn't the late 90s, it was probably the early 2000s, they had a band called Cumbia Kings. Um, So they took this cumbia and really... I think that they're... If they're not the ones who put reggaeton on the map, they're very much um, responsible for production value and collaborations to really kind of put it on the map, I want to say. Because they were the ones, like, leading that shit. I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. I think maybe my favorite out of the the Spanish songs, apart from, like, Bidi Bidi Bam Bam, which I I I did know before, (laughs) obviously. Iconic. iconic. Um, I'm going to pronounce this so terribly. Sorry to anyone at home who's cringing right now, but... El Toro. Let me see. Just can you just correct me? Can you just say it? El Toro. Yeah. El Toro Relajo. Drew can actually speak conversational Andale. Spanish. Así, así mero. Gracias. <laughs> El Toro Relajo. Okay, honey. I just love that because that is mariachi vibes. That that is glorious. It sounds so celebratory and kind of it's just life affirming. It's wonderful. Oh my god, yeah. It's one of those that was always like a little cringy to me growing up. Uh, in the best way possible, though. And I say this because when it would come on, my mom would be the one like singing to it too. And my mom can't carry a note sometimes uh, for the life of her. But I, I would always laugh. So it was always a really good memory with like just any family member who would try to sing that song. Because um, <laughs> it's so hard, but it's so fun and it's really funny. It's very, it's very, very Mexican at heart. Um, to me, Spanish is a very sung language. Like it's when people are really like speaking it fluently, I always crack up because it's such a like auntie or like or just conversation to have where it's very sing songy. And um, even my parents will kind of like make fun of each other when they catch each other doing it because. Hablan así, pero te dan una historia y están como cantando un poquito. Like, like they're just like really kind of like having a melody to this conversation that's really unnecessary, but I think it just kind of gives this joyous sense in the language. So, uh, so Selena has a lot of that in the song specifically, and it cracks me up like when she goes like, chiquita. like it's very like staccato, but like it, <laughs> it's... It, it's very conversational and it cracks me up every single time. I love that. That's amazing. This has just been such a fun experience. Is there, are there any other songs on this album specifically which you just wanted to give a shout out to that mean a lot to you or have we kind of covered it? Um, let me let me look at what they got up in here. Because uh, I know, I mean, Technocumbia is my shit for the reason of it being like such a fun hip hop esque remix. Um... Which one is on this one that I just adore? Missing My Baby is really, really good, too. And I think that was on the album before. Um, That was in Amor Prohibido. Oh, so Um, she had had English um, songs on her previous album. uh, I think that was, like, the first, like, kind of um, start with it. Like... 
Yeah, because because even I think the "Missing My Baby" on the "Dreaming of You" version is is a uh, remixed as well. So there's a different version of it that lives in the album before. Um, and the other Spanish song that I really like too is "Tu Solo Tu." That's the more like classic ranchera ballad. Um, that's the one that you like. I can see myself like if I had the nerve, if I had the vocal chops, and if I had the man willing, I would be standing outside of their window singing. Incredible, them. incredible. And you know what? But I can't. I happen. can't speak on your vocal chops, but Ricky, you do have the nerve because <laughs> in the many years that we followed each other, Ricky, to me, you are that kind of you. Um, live out my fantasies to like that extra level. So whereas I feel like mm. I'm the, I'm the pop stan, you're like the next step. So examples are that incredible montage you did where you were going to see Barbra Streisand in concert and you filmed yourself <laughs> over the course of the day. This was pre-TikTok, kids. This was pre-TikTok. I invented TikTok. You invented TikTok. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, what, that's what I'm not on. And you did, um, like you were in the shower and you're like running to the uh, a stadium and each line was perfectly lip synced to um, oh my gosh uh, don't rain on my parade into the final <laughs> climax and then the very last clip of this iconic prehistoric TikTok was Barbara on stage singing the line of the verse now if you have that have that floating around anywhere on the internet I'm going to link to that in the bio because that is okay, incredible but also Ricky does these incredible costumes for Halloween so obviously Americans are way more extra than anyone for Halloween but you do like the Michael Jackson get up you did Madam X, um, yeah, you live, I live, and um, yeah, it's just been so great to have you on the pod. There's so many people we could talk about, Barbara included. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on to speak about Barbara, because she's another one that I don't really know enough about. Um, Ricky, thank you so much for joining us, because we haven't met before today. I feel like I know you because you're just this icon that I stand on Instagram. Likewise. Um, but yeah, it's just been such a treat to not only um, speak to you, but learn so much about this figure that is just so timeless and important um, for not only the queer community, but the Mexican um, and Latinx community beyond um, that. And uh, yeah, it just is such a treat to me to be able to have conversations with people like you about people like Selena. Um, but yeah, no, th- thank you guys for like having me on too. Um, like if we're signing off, like if you don't mind me saying a few more things. Oh my please, gosh, please, Ricky, please. we're not signing off until you've said everything you need to say. <laughs> well, I mean, like I just really wanted to touch on the fact that like the reason why I wanted to talk about Dreaming of You was because of the fact that like it was going to be like her crossover album where like it could have been just a new ev- evolution of Selena. And I, I, it makes me sad every time to think of her death. When I think of this album because of that, I always think of like, wow, what could it, what could it have been? Especially when like, I know her brother took Cumbia Kings and Reggaeton Splash. Like I wondered what Selena's music would have sounded like. Uh, I wanted to know what Selena Reggaeton was doing. I wanted to know what, if Selena and Shakira would have ever like done a duet or like a duo concert together, like that would have absolutely rocked my world. Um, Because I could have seen Selena gone on this like rock and roll version with Shakira and kill it because like, um, because Selena was so heavenly, uh, heavenly, heavily like influenced by Madonna, Janet, Paula, but also I think like people like Blondie and Pat Benatar, um, and you can hear that a lot in her 80s music, like um, 
And there's a song called Enamorada de Ti, which is like a big, like, queer song, I think, too. Like, I, I've seen a lot of LA girls out here, um, especially shout out to my girl Muñeca, who does this song all the time. So good. I also love songs like La Llamada, um, which I'll send to you, too. And, You're going to have to help um, do this um, do this episode's companion playlist for Spotify so you can drop all of these songs Ooh. in. Okay, I will, because Besitos needs to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just like I, the talent and the range that Selena has, the power that that has, the uh, crossoverness that that has, you know. Um, I think it's forever just a staple in her like um i don't it, it makes me sad to think like what could have been but when you look back at her discography even with the songs that aren't as big due to this album or due to the movie um that bitch had range like and 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 i think that that's something that is not really spoken with so much with selena but i think it's kind of like an unset thing within the community and why i think she's such a legend to this day i think so and um on that just kind of calling a spade a spade she just isn't that well known in the uk and australia um thank you so much for actually just like i just feel like i know so much more about her now and can speak about her with like a genuine passion Mm. um and hopefully you know i think there's actually a series coming out on netflix which is is, produced with the family and on one hand i'm like okay stop beating a dead horse pardon the pun but on another hand i'm like (laughs) maybe if that introduces like young millennials to her great more power to her Mm. Um, Ricky, thank you so much again. And um, where, so, yeah, where can people find you if, if they want to um, follow you, learn more about your shenaniganery? Follow the buffoonery. I am at BritRick11. That's Brit like British, R-I-C-K 11 um, on Instagram. And on Twitter, I'm Dance Together. There's no O in Together. It's an underscore um, and I use my Twitter now as like literally just sharing a bunch of music that I'm currently listening to or that like I like to just share out and I think is kind of like spoken of in this fucking times that we're going through right now. So it's a little bit on the sad girl playlist right now, but in with good momentum and good bops. Um, so follow if you feel free. I've been losing a lot of followers recently, so I don't give a shit. No, that, that is yeah, about yeah. to change, sister friends. <laughs> I'm like, bye, don't need you. Um, no, sorry, finally, one last thing, um, Ricky. I know that there's something that you are promoting right now, kind of your adjacent promoting. Tell, tell the listeners what you're doing with Naomi right now. Yes, yeah, so me and Naomi are working on the Smalls World show, and um, it's been really, really fun. I'm so lucky to have been friends with her and like and have someone as talented as her um, because she wanted to put a show together, like a stage show. And obviously, um, with COVID happening, like that wasn't looking like it was going to happen anytime soon. So we decided to tackle it digitally, and she kind of got me on board as being like this. I like to call myself the creative consultant, not necessarily creative director, because she really is calling the shots. It's it's her vision, and it really makes it so much fun to try to... Uh, she tackles my brain to, like, try to make this vision come to life. And, I, and I'm someone who's, like, likes to talk the talk and always critiquing, like, pop artists and, like, you could have done this, you could have done that. So it's a lot of fun to kind of put my money where my mouth is um, um, with, like, kind of making something happen. 
And I think it's really fun. It's a good way to get to know Naomi in her own words with really fabulous music and imagery and fashion and everything that you expect Naomi to be. So tune into the Smalls World show, get tickets through her That website. sounds amazing. And can we expect Ste- a future guest appearance from Manila on that show? Or is that... <laughs> Um, you could probably see Manila and Naomi together on anything Manila does on her own. <laughs> she loves to continue to put her into the pieces anyway. So that is a duo. We'll wrap up there. We'll wrap up there. <laughs> um, thanks to Ricky. Thank you to everyone listening. If you'd like to follow the podcast, you can. We're at Oral Fixation Podcast on Instagram. Um, I'm at With All Due Respect. Andy is at Andrew. Do you think you are some kind of superstar? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and if you'd like to email us, you can on oralfixationpodcast at gmail.com. Ricky's going to help us out with the Spotify Selena playlist. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. An honor. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bitty, bitty, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs>